Edgar Allan Poe's Murders in the Rue Morgue was published in 1841 and is often cited as the first detective story. The so-called locked room murder mystery inspired not only Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to create Sherlock Holmes, but became a genre of its own. Ninety years later in the English city of Liverpool, there was a real locked room murder mystery. But there was no investigator like C. Auguste Dupin, no Sherlock Holmes, not even a Miss Marple or Columbo to help solve the case. We're still asking, who killed Julia Wallace on January 20th, 1931? The case has stumped investigators for nearly a century and still attracts attention because of its strange details. Julia's husband remains the prime suspect, but are we overlooking someone else? A suspect or suspects that had motive and opportunity. This is a study of strange. see what happens <laughs> good wish me luck all right all right uh welcome to the show my first ever <laughs> a study of strange podcast uh thank you for listening and i'm michael may and i'm sitting today my special guest is norm thoming who writes mystery and thriller novels under the pen name august norman i have that right correct that is correct good that i don't want to mess up right at the top of the show no so far so good okay good and you're most well known for the caitman caitlin bergman series of novels okay let's see it i'm going to test myself can i remember the names of the novels because oh, i've read both of them come and get me yes i actually do have it written down right there but i don't want to look down don't don't uh something about the mother and the sins sins of the mother that is correct yes winner yes i don't what do i win i don't know yet we'll, we'll see when we get to the end of the <laughs> okay, show okay cool probably let's a copy of the book probably a copy of the book um so since this is my first episode uh, bear with me just a moment while i kind of tease what i'm hoping to do with this series so on a study of strange we're going to explore some of the world's strangest mysteries tales of the unknown that i'm completely obsessed with and each week i'll have a guest on like norm today who may or may not know the story and my interest is not just in these this kind of like genre of mysteries or unknown but also i'm interested in sharing actual facts or details the more you dive into these these stories and especially with mysteries i'm sure you've come across this just researching but we live in an age where all these stories become like a, a game of telephone where they've time has elapsed or everything's online and people put in their own little opinion opinions or there's clickbait titles and that's all people are seeing so i'm hoping to actually share more facts and details about these cases i hope anyway that's my my goal and every now and then uh, present a new theory i i should hope uh and are we are we gonna bust open a case today I hope so, but I'm relying on you. So oh, great. You're, you're the expert. <laughs> well, I'm here and I'm willing to try. Perfect. Uh, and I want help from listeners out there. So if you all have theories of your own on any of these episodes, I encourage you to write in to a study of strange at gmail.com. That's one word. Uh, and I'm going to figure out some sort of content idea later on for, for people that come. Uh, no, I was going to say call in, but this is not the radio. I mean, call. Just go ahead and call. Yeah, anyway. I mean, you can call. You can call. FaceTime, but text first. Call a study of strange at gmail.com. See what happens. Uh, so first, besides a couple days ago when I asked you to do this, yep. had you ever heard of the murder of Julia Wallace? I had not. Okay. So this one, as much as I'm hoping to kind of explore tales that are not as popular, this one's kind of popular. It, more so in the UK and in Europe, I think, than here in the States. But it is popular, but there's so much strangeness to it. And I actually think the strangeness is key to trying to figure out who did it, that uh, I just couldn't not kind of do this case. That's one of my most, my my favorites. And I, I, I will say that once uh, you did say the name, I did, yes. you know, just a, a Wikipedia Google search and realized how much crime fiction has been based on this case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not just like direct correlations, but like 
elements of, mm-hmm. of the mystery have been used by people from like Raymond Chandler on yeah. uh, to PD James most recently. I, I think I saw. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited. It's uh, gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. And there's some good books out there. I'll, I'll link sort of research I used in, into the show notes. That that sounds professional, right? That sounds like I know what I'm talking about yeah, sounds, in the show notes. That's like that's like a bonus that nice. nobody needs. But I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Exactly. Uh, so the short summary that we're going to get into here is on Monday, January 20th, 1931, in the city of Liverpool and England before Beatles were around out there. Uh, an insurance agent, William Herbert Wallace, found his wife brutally murdered when he returned home one night, and he would eventually be charged for the murder and then later acquitted. Uh, a lot of weirdness surrounds this case, and it's still unsolved today. Yeah. Super fun. Uh, I mean, not for, for I mean, it, it sounds terrible to say. about. Yes, obviously no one's celebrating murder, uh, yeah. or the, but the mystery is what the, draws the us. The mystery is what draws us. And there's oh. a fair amount of time between then and now. Thank you for being here today. You're saving me already. This is great. I mean, great. you're going to get letters at Gmail. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or call in. Call in with call your in complaints. Call in with your complaints. Yes. And, uh, compliments are on Gmail. Everything else is uh, the call. So, something else I want to say before I just get into the story i don't know if, how much like research you do when you actually write or you go into stuff but i find when there's a weird story the more i research it the less weird it becomes when you find out little details this one is different and that's kind of one of the reasons why it's always fascinated me and why i want to look at it i'm just going to pause for a second to make sure i didn't miss something here in my lead up uh, save this part save it save it all Never edit any of my mistakes out. Show them your soul. Yes. Without further ado, because I I will never get into stuff. This is what I got to work on. Here we go. We're getting into it, Norm. Here we go. Uh, In 1931, Liverpool, England. Again, pre-Beatles. Pre-Beatles. It's important important for everybody to know. Uh, William Herbert Wallace. He was 52 at the time of the murder. He was an insurance collection agent. Sometimes he's referred to as a insurance salesman. He wasn't a salesman. He was in charge of going around and collecting the cash. Um, And back in those days, you would do that door to door. You just, you know, walk around and knock and get your money. Uh, I'm going to try to refer to him just as Wallace tonight. That's what I tend to do, but I may drift back and forth a little bit. Uh, he was married to Julia Wallace, his wife. Normally, she's listed at 52, but here's one of the fascinating parts about the story right away. She was actually 69. And I don't know if it's because she was lying about her age or if there's just mistakes. I've also seen it reported that she was 60 as well. So this age thing is already kind of starting off the in a weird, weird ways. I feel like Liverpool got better with their with all of their records pretty much after the Beatles. So pre-Beatles, the <laughs> pre- records. There is, it's uh, the pre-Beatles, post-Beatles is an important yeah, distinction they, we'll have to make All to the that. way down to the municipality. <laughs> uh, so people knew this couple around town. They knew them as being quiet. Uh, William was known as a hard worker. And Julia and William were known to play music together. So neighbors would hear them do this. I think William was on the violin. His wife would be on the piano. And that was how they entertained themselves. They would also go to concerts from uh, from time to time. Now, both of them were known for not being very healthy in terms of they got sick a lot. They were both sickly. William had kidney issues. Uh, Julia, actually, at the time of the murder, she was had a mild case of bronchitis. And they were known to kind of rotate. Like some person, would one, one of them would get sick, then uh, the next week, the other one would get sick. Sounds like they got the black mold. Probably. Yeah. I mean, Liverpool pre-Beatles. Right. That's all make post-Titanic. That's all making ships <laughs> yep. and hoping yep. they don't crash. This is really interesting. Julia, she had a life insurance policy. Well, her but, husband's a life, an insurance. Yes. But, I mean, guess how much money it was for? I, I would say in those days, I'm going to go with 10,000 pounds. Close. Really? 20 pounds. 20 pounds. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, okay. Close and, you know, certain Yeah, scales. yeah, yeah. So yeah. nowadays money, yeah. 30 bucks? <laughs> right. American? And nowadays, no, no, 20 pounds back then, let's say uh, $385,000. No, no, it would, <laughs> it would not be a lot. Um, but uh, she, so she wasn't worth a lot of money. She would actually make her own clothes. She did have a separate bank account, which had 90 pounds in it. But I think that was left to her brother upon her passing. If William was the murderer, as a lot of people suspect, there wasn't a lot of motivation for from a financial standpoint in it. And motive, you'll find, is a big question in this case. 
So on September 19th of the same year, Wallace, uh, he was a member of the Central Chess Club of Liverpool. Nice. And the club would meet twice weekly at a place called the City Cafe. And Wallace was known not to attend very often. He would just pop in from time to time, as I would probably do if I was a member of a chess club. And that's another little, that's an important detail as well, that he was not always there. Uh, at 7.15 on that night, again, September 19th, and this is the night before the murder, just to clarify that. Gotcha. Uh, an operator got a call from a phone booth in Anfield, which is the neighborhood that Wallace lives in. And a man on the line asked for the city cafe. And he was told to put in his change. I think it was two pennies uh, to pay for the call. He does so. And as soon as the operator connected his call, he then disconnected. He called back, asked to be connected to the city cafe again, and said that there was a problem with the phone. Um, I share this bit of detail because it's been suggested that whoever made the call was actually attempting to trick the operators and get his money back. Oh, the old like make, yeah. make the dime in the yep. in the glass noise. Kind of, kind of. Yeah, it's a very, very much the same kind of thing. Uh, so at seven twenty, so it took a whole five minutes to kind of get this process figured out. At seven twenty, a telephone rings in the little uh, city cafe, and a waitress answered the phone. The person online asked if William Wallace was there, and she doesn't know him, so she grabbed the chess captain, a guy named Samuel Beatty, to uh, take the call. So he gets on the call and he speaks to this gentleman who asked for Wallace and Beatty said, I, I think he's coming and he'll be here shortly if he is. And uh, he asked the guy to call back later. The guy said he couldn't. This is all me not doing this verbatim, by the way. I'm just sort of passing on the information. One guy was like, dude, I need to talk to William. Sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> That's what the Liverpool accent was pre-Beatles. Pre-Beatles. The, the Beatles changed it. Yeah. Um, so he asked the guy to call back later, but the guy said he couldn't call back later. He had he had business to do uh, with. In, let me say that again. He couldn't call back later because he had his girl's 21st birthday, implying he was busy. And he said, I have some business to attend to with William Herbert Wallace. Uh, and he left his name and said, could William come meet me tomorrow night at 730 at 25 Menlove Gardens East, which is the address. Uh, and specifically said, I want to see him personally. So at roughly 7.45 p.m., so about 20 minutes later, Wallace actually showed up. Beatty gave him the note, and Wallace made a point of saying he doesn't know who this man is. His name, by the way, was R.M. Qualtro. Mm -hmm. Very, very common name. Common name in Liverpool. Yes. Uh, sometimes I've heard that pronounced Qualtruff, uh, but I think it's Qualtro. Um, and... William Wallace made the comment that he doesn't know who this is, and that's a weird name. He also doesn't know the address and was asking all of his compatriots in the chess club, to like, how would you how would you get there? What you know, what trams would you take to get there tomorrow night? Now, this call is important because it is often surmised that whoever R.M. Qualtro is, is the person that on the following night will murder Julia Wallace. If not William Wallace. Oh, but see, it could be him. Uh, because he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And the phone booth, you'll find out later, giving away all my tricks, was only 400 yards from his house. So just uh, keep that in your back pocket. I got it. Yeah. GPS uh, was really good then. <laughs> yes, it was. GPS was very, very good. So on the 20th, which is the next day, the, the night or the day at this point of the murder, uh, Wallace starts doing his rounds as his insur insurance collection agent duties call for. And he comes home for lunch and he reminds Julia that he has this meeting with a Qualtro that night. Uh, he was wearing a Macintosh jacket, which is a, a type of like raincoat. You'll recognize them if you look them up. I think in the States here, we don't call them that. But in England, it's they... like a slicker or a London fog. It is. Do you want us to actually see a photo of it? Well, of course I do. Don't everybody... you, everyone listening? Yes, everybody at home, turn over this way <laughs> to see. <laughs> oh, wait, let me, let me pull up Macintosh jacket. This is great. Search radio. along with us. Ooh, ooh, look at this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, so he was wearing a Macintosh jacket earlier in the day because the weather was very British and uh, you kind of needed it for cold and, and slight rain. Uh, when he came home for lunch, though, he did change before he left again and put on a lighter jacket and he hung the Macintosh right outside of the front parlor room. He went out to finish his afternoon rounds after changing jackets and having lunch, and he returned home at 6.05 p.m. 
Julia, as I mentioned earlier, she was sick. She had a little bronchitis. She wasn't feeling well. Um, and he wanted to kind of stay with her that night. So he debated, should I even go to the meeting? I don't know this guy. I don't know how to get to 25 Men Love Gardens East. But he eventually says, no, I, I'm supposed to do this. This is my job. And he would leave home at 6.45 p.m. Now, now how do we know these times? Uh, from there are witnesses that are about to about to Sorry, come to I'm light. just on the edge of my No, seat. please, please. Yeah, yeah. This is this is what I want. Please ask all the questions you want. Um but to to find the exact time though, it is definitely a guess. There are witnesses that make sense for when he said he left the house. Um, but there is some questions that that are bound to come up around that. Now we do have certain knowledge around this time. A there were a lot of delivery boys back then. Sure. Milk, dairy, newspapers. Um, if they couldn't work in the factories, they could run milk across town. Exactly. So there was a milk boy delivery. Uh, I, I, <laughs> oh, no. So that sounds, sounds terrible. It uh, sounds really weird to the say. The milk boy made, made a, delivery a delivery of a milk boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, milk, milk boy should deliver other milk boys. And milk it makes boy no governor. Sense. Um, his name was Alan Close. And he says that he saw Julia at 645, thereabouts, maybe a few minutes before, which is about the time Wallace is about to leave. And Alan Close remembers this because he specifically saw like a, cl a clock on a church. Yep. There was also another delivery boy, a newspaper boy who delivered a newspaper, not a, he didn't deliver a newspaper boy, but he right. delivered Fair. a newspaper at around 630. And he was still on the street and actually saw Alan Close and at around 645 speaking to Julia. Now, uh, I will point out just a very fun thing that I'll get into a little bit later, but the prosecution in this case. Uh, they built a a they they kind of think that William Wallace dressed up as Julia to talk to the milk boy, which oh yeah yeah just to you know as part of his major plan to kill his wife he's going to open the door for the delivery and wear his wife's clothes just before he has to leave to go to meet this Qualtro guy because mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense also he had a big mustache. Well, I mean, at that point, okay, fair. <laughs> Where are you she, going with but this? But if she's sick and she's got the bronchitis, yeah. or at least as we find out later, because no one cares if she has bronchitis I see where you're ahead going. of time. But then she's like, oh, I'm not feeling well. You establish the time of death at a different time when you have an alibi. Oh. And in those days where they I, they weren't great at, you know, the autopsy skills were not like, no. oh, liver temperature. You know, yeah. it was just a bit past the blood and too much before the stink. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think they were that uh, they, I don't think they can narrow it down within a four hour period. Oh, okay. you're actually hitting upon some stuff that is going to come up. So right. this, this is really good. This is really good. Um, I also have a question. Yeah. This is where my history brain goes a little mm -hmm. dumb. But 1931 is the Depression. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And there as well. Yes. And I uh, yes. Everywhere sort of uh, the Depression was, was a major factor. And that had a lot to do with how hard Wallace worked because he was not a, a healthy guy. He had those kidney issues that I told mm -hmm. you about. He was on his feet all day and he was known to not be a fast walker. Kind of, uh, you know, not not in the best shape, but he had to he had to do it. He had to pay the bills, and Julia would make her own clothes, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the depression is is very much uh, alive within the this hardworking couple. So uh, Wallace again, he leaves home at six forty five. Just to reiterate that, um, at seven oh six, Wallace is two miles away waiting for a tram or trolley or train. I, I don't know exactly what they refer to him in Liverpool, so I'll say all of all of those yeah, things. Yeah, it would have been a I, I, trolley. Yeah, I say trolley and tram. I kind of go back and forth on it. Um, it was early light rail. Ooh, nice. There you go. Uh, so he would take three trolleys that evening. Uh, he would take one from near his home. He would transfer at Penny Lane. Oh, all these Beatles things coming up. I didn't even. I didn't expect heart. to do all this tonight. Um, and he was doing this, obviously, to get across town to go to this Men Love Gardens area. Uh, Men Love Gardens, going a little tangent, but this is actually Please. really important. This is not even in my notes. So Men Love Gardens, there's a Men Love Gardens north, south, and west. And he's looking for an east. And it's a it, they're all kind of, it's a, it's a small area. It's a, basically a triangle mm -hmm. with gardens in the middle. And it's off a, a, a more major thoroughfare called Men Love Avenue. So thus begins, when he gets on these, this tram... The bizarre journey of Wallace, who seemed to talk to everybody mm -hmm. under the sun that evening about what he was doing. 
Now, a lot of people consider this very strange in the case because William Herbert Wallace was not the most uh, talkative and jovial person. He was right. kind of quite he, serious. He's not the quiet. he's not the salesman. He's the collection. He's the guy. collection. Nobody likes the collections guy. No, no. Uh, so, however, the police in this case and the prosecution would have you to believe that William spoke to everyone and gave way too much information, all in terms of trying to establish an alibi. So what I have done here, I'm going to hand you, we're going to do a little reenactment. Oh, yes, please. It's the part I was born to play. So there you are. You're going to play William. Oh, yes. You're going to be Mr. Wallace himself. No. Pressure's on. Um, And again, this is what the, this is not, what actually happened? This is what the prosecution wants you to think. This happened. is the story they spun. Yes, indeed. So, you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. So, it's the evening in Liverpool. William Wallace is transferred at the famous Penny Lane onto a new trolley car. A ticket inspector approaches. Ticket, please. By chance, uh, do you know where I should get off from Menlove Gardens East? I don't know this area of the city at all. See, I'm William Herbert Wallace from Manfield. The, the conductor may be able to help. I got out of the passengers to attend to. Way to go on the accident. You're I mean, just combine all the Beatles and then yeah. get them a little drunk. Combine them all. See, I used to be able to do a great Ringo, um, but it's been so many years I, I'm terrible at it now. Um, so anyway, uh, the ticket inspector gestures for Wallace to move on. Mr. Wallace moves up the trolley, squeezing between passengers and speaking to all of them as he passes. Excuse me. Hello. Uh, good evening. I'm William Wallace. Uh, not not the uh, not the Scottish uh, Lord. Uh, remember me if the police ask later for no reason whatsoever. He reaches the conductor. Uh, pardon, sir. Do you know where I could get off to go to Menlove Gardens East? Menlove Gardens West, you mean? No, East. You can get off on Menlove Avenue. Should be able to find it there, if it exists. You see, uh, I'm William Herbert Wallace, insurance agent for the Prue. A note was left for me to go to a meeting at Menlove Gardens East. A uh, Mr. Qualtroff. Uh, a what? Uh, Quattrol, it's his name. You know him? Why would I? Of course. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, don't forget me. The conductor gives him a look of annoyance. It's, Later. It's quite because his accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He it's was all like, that, over guy, the place. that guy speaks really strange. <laughs> uh, so later on, Wallace is wandering the street. He approaches a newsman on the corner. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, do you know where Menlove Gardens East happens to be? I've tried north, south, and westy. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, thank you. Ta. I'm William Herbert Wallace. Have a pleasant evening. Wallace sees a passing police officer and approaches. Uh, good evening. Uh, do you know where Menlove Gardens East is? No such thing. Oh, that's what I was afraid of. You see, I'm William Herbert Wallace, insurance agent. I live over in Anfield and I received a message to come to a meeting tonight at Menlove Gardens East. My wife is home all alonesies while I wander these streets. Uh, perhaps it was a mistake for West. I thought that too, but I spoke to the resident there and it's not who I'm to meet. I say, do you know if the post office is open? I'm asking in case you need to confirm my alibi. Uh, y- yes, it's not qu- eight quite yet. You have a little time before they close. Well, wait, in case I need to confirm what? William Herbert Wallace, don't forget me. <laughs> Fantastic. And my questionable accent. Yes, that's that's the fun of these things. It's because I know Liverpool. I don't know Anfield. No, well, I mean, Liver- Anfield is in Liverpool. All so right, you're, well, you're dead on the money. Then great. So, uh, people listening from Liverpool, please. Uh, Accept please, our apologies. Please call Norm. Yes. <laughs> at yes. a study of strange at gmail.com. And leave your complaints or or appreciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that is, uh, again, that is not what happened. That is what the prosecution is going to weave later on. Now, the, the truth is probably way more natural. He did speak to people, I think at least seven that they know of for sure, but probably more. And uh, not to take anything away from the idea that this is unusual behavior for a quiet man, but I put myself in his shoes, and if I am legitimately trying to find an address that I don't know where it is, right, and the I'm finding the street doesn't exist, right, let alone 
maps that would have been commonly available probably don't exist or would have been expensive. It would have been expensive. And, you know, maybe they don't have these smaller streets off the major ones. And it is why he tried to go to the post office. He wanted to see a map and he also wanted to see a directory. And a postman would know. Yes. Out of anybody. And the police officer would know. Yep. Yep. Uh, So Minlove Gardens East does not exist. And he spent half an hour looking for this man, Qualtro. And Ooh, where am I? Sorry, my notes here. These are all the bits that are going to get cut out. Or not. Or not. (laughs) Or these are the bits that make the gravy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was, oh, that was a terrible laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is the laugh that makes the gravy. This is the Yeah, so so Wallace spent half an hour looking around. Obviously couldn't find it. Spoke to everybody that he could to find it. Uh, He did, like the scene says, he actually did speak to somebody at the 25 Men Love Gardens West. It was some woman that later talked to the police about it. But yeah, obviously she's not Qualtro or Qualtruff. So he heads back home. He arrives back home at uh, about 15 minutes to 9, so 8.45-ish. And he tries the front door first. Tries his own door? Or, yeah, you'll see why. Because he couldn't couldn't open it. He he goes to unlock it. That's not good. It doesn't open. So he goes around to the back door. And he would often use the back door to to leave home or come home. So it wasn't unusual to go from the front to the back. He goes to the back door. It doesn't work. Is this a freestanding house or is this like a row? It's house like a row house. I'm going to pull up a photo. That's right real, now, but... real English. Oh, yes. Yeah, very yeah. much so. And, and yeah, all the neighbors are right against the walls and everything. So uh, he goes around to the back alley, goes into his back door uh, or back little garden area and goes to the door, tries his key. It won't open. He knocks, he calls out, he eventually goes right back around to the front again and tries it one more time, still not working. So he goes around back again. And when he goes around back the second time, his neighbors from right next door, John and and Florence Johnston, are back there and they're apparently leaving to go meet a relative somewhere. Down at the pub. Going to the pub. Going to the pub. And he asked them, have you heard anything unusual? And they say, no. And Wallace makes a comment, something like, oh, she's been ill. And it's funny because when I read a lot about this story, uh, a lot of the articles I read or little documentaries I've watched or even even some of the books I've even looked at, um, it's sometimes implied that there's something nefarious about him saying she's been ill. And in my mind, it's like, no, she's been ill. That's why she's not opening the door, but I'm having trouble kind of thing. He's just trying to like, he's going through things in his head. His head right, is spinning right. about why the door is not opening. Um, right. It's either the the blatant like, oh, you're trying really hard to make me believe that you aren't lying or you really care about your actual wife. Exactly. What, do you love your wife or something? <laughs> Dork. I mean, we love our wives. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, I love you, Amy. I almost said I almost said your wife's name instead of saying my own at that time. That's that would have been very well. awkward. Oh, leave this in. <laughs> oh, that's staying in. That's definitely staying in. So uh, the neighbors suggest that he try his back door again, and he does. But this time, it opens very easily. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very Again, strange things. Strange yep. things yep. in the story. Uh, so the neighbors wait as Wallace goes inside and... Most of the lighting in this house, this is gas lamps. Yeah. So he's having to walk through this dark, dark house. And I love the scene of this. I would love to film this in something. But he's having to light a match and light a lamp and then walk around and light another match and light a lamp. He goes and checks upstairs. So to be clear, it's not central gas lamps. It's individual gas lamps. Uh, That is a good question. I actually don't. I think you have to light each one individually but there may be central gas the classic term you know gaslighting from the movie right 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 gotcha yeah i think you have to light into each individual one she's he's making her crazy it's a great (laughs) thing uh although i could be wrong about that if if anybody out there listening knows please write in so as he's checking inside he actually i think he goes upstairs first julia's not there she's not in bed he comes back down and he sees something in the parlor and he runs out the back door to the Johnsons who are still waiting. And he says, come and see she's been killed. And inside they find a grisly murder. And that's the end of the show. Thank you. For All right. That. that is weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a- any comments or thoughts so far about the, the setup to this? Well, so many, um, so many, but, uh, but I think that's the, the thing 
for most people it'd be an ordinary day and even even somebody working in sales or in collections mm-hmm. uh, again if he's not a salesperson it'd be odd to go to collections for someone that was new but maybe that's how it works maybe you get that new customer and they're like here's the address go get it yeah no i love the way your brain's working i think honestly just for time i'm trying to focus on some of the main <laughs> stuff but there actually are a lot of things written about um what was expected of these insurance agents right. and he worked for uh, the prudential assurance company and they called it the pru which you heard in the yeah, scene yeah. earlier um and it was they were expected to go out and like go out of their way to be friendly to butter up clients to collect obviously in certain situations mm-hmm. um so it was known to do that also there are some reports and if people uh, again i'll put links to this in the show notes um, where you can find some of this information. But uh, there, there is somebody that did find out that there was a client for the Prudential named Qualtro, uh, but it was not RM Qualtro. It was like RJ Qualtro. And they never found a direct connection to that. But there are people that have pointed that out. So obviously, I feel like we're going to touch on that later. But uh, yeah, yeah. But obviously, it sounds like, oh, somebody else who works at the insurance company at least has access not to the database, as right, it were, right. but the handwritten, uh, the handwritten sheet sheet. Of, yes, uh, yes. And, and a lot of people do suspect that he might have recognized the name. By, by what he was telling people at Chess Club, he did not. But some people think maybe he maybe the reason he actually did venture off is maybe it did come to him later of like, wait, Quattro, I do know that name. That mm. I think that's someone that is. Right. Client. Like I wasn't saying it the French way. I was saying it the, with the F in <laughs> yeah, the Quattro. Um, so I've changed my mind multiple times researching this story. I, in the years past, when I would read about this, I always assumed Wallace was innocent and I still might lean that way. And I'll get more into that towards the end of the episode, but where I'm coming down exactly right now, uh, is something that I initially wrote off. I love the locked room aspect of this story, mm-hmm. but I think of that more as like, that's just an intriguing way to learn more about this. That's a compelling reason to read about this. But once you dive into the locked room part, I kind of, it's like, oh, it's just like the door could get stuck because the back door actually would, they did comment. Sometimes the back door wouldn't work. Sure. The front door could have been bolted from the inside. That's why it's not locking with the the, the key or unlocking with the key. There's a bunch of reasons of why it may not have been a been a thing to even pay attention to and it's just a cool little quirk that makes you pay attention to the story but right. the more i got into it this week i actually think the locked room aspect is really important all right and i think not that i can solve the case <laughs> but i actually think that that is a, a huge crux that i wish we could go back in time and actually learn more about because i think that would tell us not necessarily who did it but if william herbert wallace did it right yeah obviously add that to the time machine list uh, yes. I like to keep a list of things that you, you want know. to go back in time. For right, right. Once the time machine exists, your time travel doesn't have to be a machine. Yeah. Uh, like what? Give me an example. Oh, uh, yeah. The Kennedy assassination <laughs> okay. or just yep. any of the. Um, yeah. I mean, just and then it just made your like fun stuff, like certain nights and musical performances. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like to go to Woodstock. The good one, well, not yeah, the yeah. horrible one. Yes. Uh, you know, just a little bit of that. <laughs> Keep a running tab is all I'm yes, saying. Yeah, yeah. No, Guys, I, it's going to happen. I think it's great. If we make it through yeah. this. Jack the Ripper. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be around for it, but I just want to like. Right. I want to be a witness or someone leaving somewhere so I can be like, oh, is that guy. Right. If we're not allowed to change time. If we're allowed to change time, that'll then, be the guy who's like, stop. Yeah. You're Jack the Ripper. <laughs> don't do that. You're under arrest. <laughs> yes, exactly. Doctor. Ooh. Ooh. We, now we know what Norm thinks about Jack Ronnie's the Ripper dying. and his personal theories. So anyway, here's the details of Julia Wallace's murder as the night unfolded. Um, she was found lying down, face down, in the parlor. There is a a gas fireplace in the center of the room, and sort of there's a piano and where they would play music and kind of seating all around. She was laying across a black rug in front of that fireplace, and there was blood everywhere. It was splashed up to seven feet on this on the walls and there was a huge pool kind of below her body and it's kind of tough to make out some of the that in the the photos that exist the photos are not fantastic um but you can make out enough of it to to see that uh the raincoat the macintosh that i brought up earlier was found underneath julia's body okay now there's a lot of different reasons which we'll probably hit upon later about why or how that could have happened um but I noticed when I first saw crime scene photos, I was like, oh, everybody's mistaken. It's not under her body. It's like partially under her body. Well, 
it turns out the crime scene photos were taken after they had traipsed around and moved a bunch of stuff. Of course, as you do. So the raincoat was actually laid back on the ground for the photo. It's not where it was uh, when they initially came across uh, Julia's body. Uh, her left temple had been hit just drastically and terribly and brains are falling out and mm-hmm. it was just, it's, Sorry, it's not good. Uh, it is the first hit that is expected that had would have killed her. And then there are multiple hits that she had after that, that which they think were just sort of like frantic. But the first hit is what is uh, what is thought to have killed her. Uh, the raincoat and part of her dress had been burnt. Uh, like the bottom fell in the, was into the fire. Into the fire. Yeah, which is part of my theory I'll get to later. Um, Wallace asked as soon as they came in, uh, Mr. Johnston to go get a doctor. Mrs. Johnson sort of took care of him. She lit a, a fire in the kitchen area, which they kind of used more as like a living room anyway right. to kind of warm things up, make him feel comfortable uh, and take care of him. Uh, Julia's handbag was in the kitchen, a but nothing had really been taken from it. There was a door to a cabinet in the kitchen, which was broken, uh, almost like it had been broken off or pried off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were coins on the floor, um, but there was a cash box that which is the collections cash box gotcha that was missing four pounds which doesn't seem like a lot however remember great depression era and he had been sick the week before so he didn't make the rounds the previous week so it should have had more so cash it would have it. had more money right upstairs they found five one pound notes that were untouched some had blood on them though which yeah, uh, remember that i will come back to that police arrive around 9 10 p.m and sort of like I mentioned with the moving of things before the crime scene photos, they didn't do a great job. No. Uh, there was actually historically, this is really interesting. There was a strike. I can't remember how many years prior to this, but not many years prior to this this case. And the police force was cut down tremendously. And the gentleman in charge of the investigation should not have had the job. He really only got it because of what happened during the strike. Uh, and he saw this as the biggest case of his career, which it definitely was. And he wanted to solve it very quickly as can happen with these things um it's there's an interesting note here that i wrote down for myself um the prosecution will claim that wallace was very cold and showed no emotion throughout the night um but mrs johnston the neighbor who was with him actually mentioned that he broke down multiple times so he i don't think he was as cold as people assume i also shock you gotta remember shock yeah trauma is different for everyone yes you can't just expect someone to act a certain way right um so again i kind of mentioned this already but the body was disturbed the coat was disturbed police had gone around the flat they went upstairs they were looking around uh an officer pc williams examined the body he found no weapon no weapon is still to say ever been found. They do have assumptions over some sort of fire poker or metal, heavy metal thing that was used to clean the fireplace. A Professor McFall, who was the medical advisor, arrives. And stumbled into the blood. Oh, that's just Professor McFall. <laughs> uh, you're not far off here. Oh, so no. He, he came in. And I'm I'm embellishing this, but he just came in and was like, oh, she's been dead for, uh, she was dead around eight. See you later. Bye. Yep. Um, so <laughs> he estimated that death occurred around 8 p.m. initially. Um, and this is 45 minutes before William Wallace got home, by the way. Uh, he also estimated at first that there were 11 total blows that came upon Julia. Um, and all he used to estimate the time of death was rigor mortis. That's all okay. he looked at. He didn't take temperatures. He didn't do any of those other sciencey things that medical examiners that do. Yeah. Uh, there was more at that time, though, that I found reading about this. Um, it, there was a lot more he could have done. Now, there was so much blood. How much blood was there? Lots of this much blood. <laughs> so much. No. Whoever killed Julia Wallace would have been covered in blood, is what investigators expect. Now, I'm no mm, slasher. But from what I understand about that much blood, there would even have to be cuts or a major artery severed. Do you want to see the crime scene photo? I mean, not in a weird yeah. way, but yes, for the sake of the story of the mystery. Yeah, for the sake of understanding and discussing it. I mean, there's again, the photos are not great, but you can. Here's a couple. You can't see this pool of blood. All right. Now, I don't have the good eyes. Can you throw it on the other monitor? Actually, 
there's a big pool, yeah. pool of blood, but the spots are hard to see. Andrew, I can turn that even more for you. This is great radio again for everybody. Right, and where's the luminol? Do they have any luminol yeah. shots? So these spots, these are all, okay, all so blood, blood over here and blood way up here. So there's a spatter away from the position of the body. Yes, yes. And I actually have thoughts, but I'm not an expert on those things, so I won't go too much into detail. But I actually think, because she was hit on her left side of her head um that i i should also say this is a nice broom this is uh yeah. it's not dingy i, no, I was expecting no, no, no. like a post-victorian like coal sooted uh place. no this no. is a, this is a, they're doing all right it's a nice home and it is a gas fireplace so it's not like wood fire there you know you you turn on the little thing you have to put a match down there it lights on same with the gas lamps up here that is how mm-hmm. they operated no it's a nice room they, they had nice what we would call antique furniture but i'm sure back then it was probably Furniture. Hip and modern. <laughs> yeah, so they, they assume that whoever killed Julia, they would have been covered in blood. Maybe not like caked in blood, but a lot of blood on their body. So they think whoever killed her went upstairs to the bathroom to wash off. Now, in, in part of their investigation that they did well is they actually tested for blood in the pipes, in the bathtub, in the sink. Oh. And they, it's a benzodyne test. Okay. And uh, they tested no blood. No blood anywhere. So... There's also a wash basin in the photo, right? I don't think that's a wash basin. I think that's, is that what you were looking at? That is what I was looking at. I think that's just some sort of like. Listeners, over to the left of the body, before (laughs) the wall, there seems to be a porcelain porcelain bowl. bowl. No, but I don't think that's a wash basin. Uh, they did have two bathrooms. The bathroom downstairs was kind of oh, out they're back. doing okay. Yeah, but it's it was more of like an outhouse. You had to go outside to it, and they sure. didn't use it. I think they used it for some storage. Now. <laughs> worst storage yes. ever uh now wallace agreed to give details of the night to the to the police he was not you know withholding everything he was trying to be helpful but the police took him to the police station to talk to him so all the neighbors assumed he was arrested mm-hmm. and this is where rumors started and rumors play a very big role in this case even to this day there's again a lot of misconceptions based on rumors some of those rumors, just because they're really fun, includes Wallace being a ladies' man, and he was having affairs all around town, including with some of his clients as he's out and about. Uh, also, that the couple were cold. They didn't like each other, which is sure. actually not true, which I'll get into later. Um, there was also rumors that Wallace was homosexual, was having affairs with men, and this led to the murder of some kind. Uh, the murder of some kind. That's not what you... That, that led to the murder, murder was something that... yeah. Uh, there's also rumors that Julia was having an affair and she was killed over it when she tried to stop it. So rumors, man, rumors. They're the worst. They are the worst. Only two people know what happened inside of a marriage. (laughs) And even then they only know 50%. Yes. Uh, now police, again, they were not great, but, uh, the men in charge were hasty and they eyed William Wallace from the start. As you honestly, you should always suspect the, the spouse. Um, but they they wanted a quick arrest. Now it didn't help Wallace that McFall, the medical advisor, uh, sucked. <laughs> and uh, I already mentioned this, but just to say it again too, um, he he used just rigor mortis to determine a time of death, and he actually changed his mind later on after they I can't remember if it's after they arrested Wallace or right before they arrested him. Um, but initially he said the, the Julia was killed around eight. But then he changed it to be as early as six. Now, it's all right to give a range, and he does give a range. But as early as six, we know from witness accounts, the delivery boys, yes. that she was not dead at six. She, he also said that she was, she was initially hit 11 times, but it was actually more like three or four is what he said later on. Now, because Wallace was home until 6.45 p.m. when he left, uh, it kind of seems like they changed the time of death to fit that. To fit that they had yes. him in. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with this. Again, check out show notes for details. Uh, McFall's testimony is actually available, so you can read about what he said in uh, in court. And you can go down a very deep rabbit hole easily, as I can speak to from experience on all of the time of death stuff. It is very interesting. Now, one of the things police did... Oh, I already said that. Blood stuff. They tested for blood. Um when the, the the police were continuing to sort of search the scene later in the evening, uh, they actually did find a blood spot on the top of like the toilet bowl. Okay. But it was a blood clot 
and you can't actually assume where that came from because they didn't lock down the scene. People were going back and forth. The blood could have come from one of the police officers, etc. And it also wasn't seen right away. It took a lot of people looking in that bathroom before someone saw it. Mm. Um, so just from a from a court case perspective, you can't really say, hey, also blood was found up here. So someone came up and washed. And there's no evidence that someone washed up. There's no blood anywhere else up there. The blood on the money I mentioned earlier as well, I actually think could also be from police officers looking around, touching things, counting the money. You know, a thumbprint could have gotten some on it downstairs. They go upstairs. So you can't really use that. Yeah, I almost feel like it's that like, oh, someone's going to notice that this money's gone. I was going to take this money. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm not because yeah, someone someone saw me. I'm just counting. Just, yeah, counting, just counting this. Counting just counting. Uh, yep. Yep. All here. All here. Depression still. affects everybody. Yep. Uh, so Wallace was arrested just a few days after the murder. So uh, let me let me just ask you a quick question here. What yeah. do you think they have on him? I know I've gone over a lot of stuff, so it's hard to digest. But like, if you were the one that's like, okay, I'll go arrest William Wallace. What are you thinking? Well, I, I think I think they're obviously they they build the case around the showmanship of what seems like. Why are you going all out to make this lie? Like yeah. you talk yeah. to the people who he was with. And here's a guy who's just like, oh, anyway, if you need me tomorrow night, I won't be available because I'll definitely be far from home. Yep. So I feel like that's all they're going with other mm-hmm. than, again, well, I want my lock open. I need you witnesses to walk in here with me uh, so that you see I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that does play into the whole yes timeline. Yeah. If you establish the fake timeline, get mm-hmm. somewhere else across town, then then there you go. Uh, but like you said, uh, it, it really comes down to motive. I mean, we're going to find out. Yeah. So he loves his wife. And let's I mean, let's get into to the case then, or, or at least what the, the prosecutors were building around Wallace, because uh, motive, <laughs> there's a lack of motive uh, and it never it never there's never one that shows up. Uh, however, like you just said, the the timeline works uh everything that's happening definitely seems like he's creating an alibi and that's a big part of their case uh, that's probably the biggest part of the case so they assume that wallace made the call he was rm qualtro because again the phone booth he had the far. phone booth they even timed it they timed like different ways he could have gotten to the chess club after making the call can he finish the call and get on this tram to make it to the city uh, city cafe could he have made the call this way and gotten this and they did it all and timing kind of works and there's also people that have, I think there's a there's a gentleman I can't remember his name off the top of my head again show notes people but who's written a book about the timeline and has done like all these sort of mathematical equations to figure out what was possible. <laughs> um, so they assumed that he made the call. He was Qualtro because he knew someone would pick up. Also remember he didn't always attend chess club, so there's no guarantee that he would or wouldn't be there. So it's interesting that someone called for him there. It is also yes odd because call at home, uh, dude. Did did they have a they only have the phone booth. Did they have a home phone? I don't know if they had a home phone. Um, it seems so, like it would be uncommon at the time. Yeah, I, I think it's uncommon. Um, but also, if it was him, it makes sense of why you... And they had a phone. It makes sense why he didn't make it from home. They couldn't really trace calls, but I do think operators can make notes of certain things and be like, oh, it came from this area. And the night that he went out to meet Qualtro, the night of the murder, uh, he obviously talked to... Many, many, many people, probably many more than they ever found. Um, the prosecutors further assume that the killer would have been splattered with blood. And this is super fun stuff here. Uh, the raincoat found under her body, the Macintosh, was suspected to be used by the killer to wear to protect from blood splatter. They also assumed that Wallace might have killed her while naked and worn the coat to protect mm-hmm. his body. That way he can quickly throw it off. And put on his clothes and run out the door to try to get it all to all the trams and trolleys and everybody that saw him. None of this really holds great water in my mind because the time where he left around 645, he would have had to kill her like immediately right after she saw the milk delivery. Also, it would have to be someone who really thought they were going to get bloody during a killing. Yeah. Like... Is he a veteran of the First World War? He wasn't. And so what are you? Yeah, that, that's one of my big holdups with the whole prosecution's case with the raincoat and naked in the raincoat is like, 
This is just getting too ridiculous. Right, right, right. It's like you've gone past easy and now like, okay, this guy do other mastermind stuff. Yeah, And is he just like, oh, if I get her at this exact spot and I hit her in this exact way with this exact pound of force, then the blood will have done this. So I must have the Macintosh on. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to have to let out a lot of blood and make it look (laughs) worse. But how do I get the spatter? Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not good policing in my mind. There wasn't even a lot of crime fiction at the time to be like, oh, I read this in Wilkie Collins book, you know, like it's it's still a little uh, it's still a little I'm not going to say far fetched. Was he winning at chess club? Like, was he that is a good question. It's funny. A lot of people think that he was think that he was amazing at chess and this is all like a big chess game however all the chess players are like no he's just kind of like he's pretty average right he's kinda, he just kind of likes it he's not right not he's some just master. a chess enthusiast yeah. somewhere to go and also i'm sorry to say this as well and go on this tangent but if you are creating this major alibi play there's much better ways to do it than to like go to a phone booth lie about a name lie about an address why not just like, there's there's just a million other things you could do that are so much easier yeah that would have lined up better. So also have somebody else find the body. Like, yeah, all right, my wife's yeah. sick. Uh, send the boy from the apothecary right. by. Right, uh, you there? Yeah, madam, <laughs> you there? Um, so the neighbors even suggested at one point, though, because again, rumors are are in very influential, and rumors are flying around. The neighbors that were with him actually suggested at one point that it seemed like he was putting on a show with the locked door. So they did suggest that at one point, even though they kind of were like taking care of him at a certain a certain point too, but all the rumors are affecting them. Now, William H. Wallace would go on trial soon after all this, uh, but not everything about the investigation was it or- as organized as all his alibis. Uh, there is more to this case. And that's where we're going to end part one of the murder of Julia Wallace. Uh, thank you, Norm. Uh, we will come back to this very shortly. Everybody stay tuned. And that's it. Thank you for listening to A Study of Strange. If you're enjoying the episode and want to hear more, please subscribe, rate, and review to support. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, email your thoughts, theories, or ideas to astudyofstrange at gmail.com. I do want to hear from you. Visit astudyofstrange.com for show notes and information. And we've also just put up a Patreon page, which will have exclusive additional content A lot of work has already gone into this show. I've already learned so much, and I'm really looking forward to making A Study of Strange great, and your support will get us there. Also, follow at A Study of Strange on Instagram for updates. Thanks again to Norm Thoming, and check out his work at augustnorman.com. Future episodes include a special guest that's an expert talking about the Biggie Smalls murder, and I'm going to be exploring the strange world of spirit photography with my friend Tim Donahue next. Until then, see you in part two.